You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to Skylight. This is the Skylight Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Hallie. Today, we're welcoming Anna Moskovakis and Amina Kane. We're going to be discussing Anna's new novel, Participation. Before I introduce them to you, I just want to remind you that Skylight Books is open from 10 to 10 every day, and we ship nationwide from skylightbooks.com. Now, on to the show. Amina Kane is the author of the novel Indelicacy, a New York Times editor's choice and finalist for the Rathbones Folio Prize and the Center for Fiction's first novel prize, published in 2020 by uh, FSG, and two collections of short stories, Creature and I Go to Some Hollow. Her new book, A Horse at Night, on writing, is out with Dorothy, a publishing project. She lives in Los Angeles. Anna Moskovakis works with poetry and prose as a writer, editor, translator, publisher, teacher, and designer. Her most recent books are the English translation of David Diop's At Night All Blood is Black and Belladonna Chaplet from Preliminary Notes on Risk and the novel Participation. She was raised mostly in California and lives mostly in New York. Welcome, Amina and Anna. I'm so happy to have you here today. Hi, Anna. Hi, Amina. So good to be here with you. It is. It is. It's really nice to talk to you, um, and especially about your new book, Participation. Um, congratulations. It just came out yesterday. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I made it through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you said you took a long hike, tired yourself out. I did. I did. And stayed off of... Um, devices. I don't know why uh, publication date is so arbitrary. It's like such a fiction kind of, but it also just, I'm just, yeah, I just get super nervous. I'm like, I hope nothing terrible happens. So it was good to get heard physically. (laughs) Yeah, it can be a weird day for sure. Um, So I don't know if, you know, before we start the conversation, if there's anything you want to tell our listeners um, about the novel, but, but I also wanted to to start by asking you about where the impulse or impulses to write participation came from. I'm kind of endlessly curious to know how a book arises for a writer in relation to what other things, um, you know, and what kind of context in, in your life or your thinking or your reading or, or, or whatever. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's funny, I was listening to to Hallie read our bios and I realized I I uh I mean I gave such a condensed bio but I didn't even mention the last um the last two books that I wrote before this one and um you know the first my first three full-length books were poetry and the poetry was getting kind of more and more sentency and discursive and maybe even a little more narrative though I wouldn't exactly say that but um but extension and kind of um, prosiness were becoming really central to it. And and then I found myself writing this novel called Eleanor or the Rejection of the Progress of Love, which came out in 2018. And um, I think I expected to be writing um, like a hundred page sort of um, 
not exactly, I don't, I don't really know what a poet's novel is, but like, I just expected to be writing something that was like, not quite a novel. And it sort of turned into more, much more of a novel novel than I thought it would be, or than I thought I, I was either interested in or capable of writing. I, I sort of credit or blame that partly on the fact that I had just translated over the last decade, sort of five novels. And, and I felt like there was something in me that, that kind of was transmitting that experience. Um, but when that finished, um, and came out, I, I found myself certain I would return to focusing on, on poetry. Um, and, and I did, and I've continued to, to write poetry, but also this other thing started to happen. And I think I felt like, oh, maybe this is going to be that novel I thought I was going to write, which is not quite a novel. <laughs> Um, and that's almost where the impulse or the challenge came. Like there were, there were, um, there, there was a lot of pressure, um, that was inside me, um, not pressure in a bad way, but just, a, just like a feeling of, um, of the sort of fun I had had writing the first, the first novel, the first novel that I had finished and, and released, because there had been many failures before that. Um, and, and sort of a desire to like, um, do something to follow a different, follow a different novelistic impulse. So it kind of came from, from that, which I realized sounds like a pretty abstract, it's like a feeling. I mean, I think it's something you, you wrote in your, in your book, um, a Horse at Night, which I just finished, uh, and is so wonderful, but like, yeah, you know, um, it came from an impulse to work on a problem with a certain kind of feeling around it that was a little different from the one that had come before, but also came from my failure to do it the other time. <laughs> and of course, I feel like I failed to do it again this time, but in a different way. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it absolutely does. Um, so there may be another novel that is reaching towards this problem or yeah no it's it's so I mean I think about when I think about this question of like the problem you know that that someone is sort of trying to get to and that sort of um catapults them into writing a book I think of someone too like Renee Gladman who I know we um, both know and we both you know really love her work um but I feel like she's someone who is often working out you know there's I had this like realization I don't know if it's true you know only she could say that like she loves the, the problems of you know of writing and that so much of her writing springs from that and so it's it's interesting to hear to hear um to hear you say something similar um and yeah I didn't even you know it you you know the fact that you're a translator of course like that too you know it's like for me I don't translate I just read so it's like my reading my um, kind of come into the picture, but but your work as a translator, like I'm I'm sure you know, would kind of affect um, just what's what's floating around you, you know, what, what's in your realm. And um, well, I I think that um, participation is is a wholly original book. Um, it feels both very real, you know, and surreal, both um, related to metafiction, but different from it too. It it feels as though it's teaching the reader how to read it as they go along. And probably, you know, maybe all books do this to a certain degree, but I just, I felt it transforming all along the way. And um, 
I thought of temperature or I, I felt temperature when I was reading it, like the sense of that there was um, not, not that it felt like a cold book, but there, there was something um, there was, there was some coldness that, that then became gradually warmer, you know, for me, as I, as I read and, you know, I'm, I'm often thinking about the experience of reading, you know, like not just what a book means, but kind of what it's guiding the reader through. And anyway, um, the book, sometimes it addresses the reader or the reader's expectations. And, and um, sometimes it's what feels to me like withholding. Um, it's a book that defies the traditional form of the novel. And sometimes it doesn't feel like a quote novel, you know, at all, but like a, a political or philosophical or social investigation of a novel. And you started to talk about this a little bit. I mean, you're talking about, you know, um, the fact that you're a poet you know, too, and and um, that, that you've written, I think, three books of, of poems, right, or published three books of poems, and, um, and you know, so I, I, I had that question, you know, like, um, because you're a poet as well as a novelist and a fiction writer, um, do you, you know, that, that was a question, like, do you consider this to be like a poet's novel, you know, and I don't know what I think about that term, um, or, or any of the terms sometimes that, that get, used to talk about fiction, like autofiction, you know, et cetera. But um, I just wonder how you feel about those kinds of, you know, labels, like just in general, and as they, as they pertain um, to the book, and it's, you know, you, you started to talk about the ways in which um, this novel is, is maybe different, or, you know, connected to, to your, your poetry. And I, I was just thinking about how it's, um, it's very different for me, you know, in terms of tone and language from they and we will get into trouble for this, um, the last um, mm -hmm. poetry book that you you published, but it seems interested in form and in aesthetics, um, you know, so I've, I've kind of said a lot and asked a number mm -hmm. of questions, but just any response you have to that? Yeah, totally. I mean, I've had so many responses to so many parts of that. Partly I feel like um, like we've been so overdue to have a, a conversation because of um, having to, not having to to cancel a few uh, due to quarantine, et cetera. So I'm like bursting with things to say and also just having read your book. But to pick a few threads from that one, um, well, first of all, I really love that description and uh, and sort of agree with it, though I wouldn't have thought in terms of temperature of cold to warm. I do feel like participation, and this was something that really challenged me in the edits because I didn't know how much to allow this to be true and how much to try to sort of fix it. But I do feel that it begins almost like, I guess that pressure that I was talking about is so tight, I feel, in the beginning. And um, and I, I, I think in a way the book is about lo loosening, you know, and getting messy and and because partly the problem that it's organized around I think is like all the problems that I that I um obsess on a kind of a psych psycho philosophical social aesthetic problem like all of those things bundled together um and I think this one in like the most mundane terms has something to do with um the pressure of theory on practice or like the, or the false binary of those two. Um, so laying that out a bit in the beginning is almost by necessity going to feel a little cold because it's, it's false. It's a false, you know, um, it's a false ar argument in a way. And yet I think it's something 
that many people and thinkers and artists um, that I care about are concerned with is like, and also just kind of modes of being that I care about, right? <laughs> um, commitments that I care about are, are concerned with kind of, um, you know, like working really hard to articulate and, 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 um, and interrogate received and learned and inherited kind of theoretical, you know, um, structures and ideologies and things and trying to, I guess, improve them. That's a weird word, but like, but challenge them or, or, um, or do better, you know, and then also while all that lifelong work is happening, we are also living every day and every minute and individual instances of, of experience um, that is always messy, you know, are happening. And so I think I was trying to sort of lay this out in the beginning, but I wanted the book to also um, demonstrate that tension in a way that made it clear it had to come undone, you know, like, like the experience of writing, it felt like a, like a, an, an increasing messiness an increased confusion in a way, instead of like, like an increased clarity. So, um, so yeah, I, I just, you know, I, I felt really nervous and I continue to feel nervous, but in those moments when you, um, release the book to the printers, one of the things I was the most, um, kind of nervous about um, it, you know, you want, you want the book to find its readers and I don't really have any attachment to there being a, a whole lot of them, but, um, but however many there might be, <laughs> I don't want them to like put it down after 20 pages. Cause they're like, you know, so I was really like, how will, how will it be? Um, how can I indicate that this will get fleshier and messier or maybe, or maybe, or, you know, that it, that it, that it will shift. So, so I really appreciate that comment. And I think it connects to the idea of the of the poet's novel and autofiction and all of those names, which do um, sort of con confuse me or which I res resist um, in a way, like I impetuously said at some point when I started writing fiction to, to somebody who asked if it was autofiction, well, all auto, all fiction is autofiction, you know, which I sort of believe, right? <laughs> but, but I think, you, you know, a poet's novel, is that just a novel written by someone who is a poet or who reads a lot of poetry? Or is it a novel that poets like to read? Or, you know, I don't know. But I, I do think that um, there are, there are kind, maybe this is a thing that, that maybe addresses that a bit. I, I do feel like, um, there are kinds of books, including novels, that I, as a reader, don't feel the need to finish, you know, that I love. I, I, I like, I like go into them like you go into a body of water. And, um, and I, where I suspect that the writer wouldn't mind that because of the way, you know, because, because one can get so much from them that way. I haven't yet written a novel that I feel that way about. Like, I mean, I, I don't care if somebody finishes my novel or not, but I I want there to be a sort of reason to turn the page. Um, and I I don't know if that makes makes it less or more of a poet's novel, but I think, you know, more than, yeah, I think some kind of some kind of um mystery or suspense, or maybe this has to do with the withholding a little bit. I don't know, but I I like that feeling of, I mean, desire to turn the page. And there's so many different ways to get there. Um, but but that 
feels that feels important to me. So that's that that thaw couldn't be so slow that people would be like, oh, the whole book's gonna be just this, this fun, this like shiny, you know, um burnished um thought object or something. Yeah. I mean it's yeah, I think you know, what you say about a sort of, um, you know, a, a loosening, that, that makes sense to me too, like not just like this sort of temperature, but just also the sense of like something that's a little tighter that starts to starts to loosen, I think in a really nice way. And that um, definitely, I think, makes the reader want to turn the page, you know? And um, I, I was wondering, do you want to, would you want to read a little bit of the, of the novel? Yeah, yeah. Talking, that would be great. Um, yeah, we very briefly thought about it's. It's really hard to read from a, a novel, as oh. you know, right? Like, um, and normally I just defer to reading from the beginning. At some point, I realized I started writing like twelve to twenty page poems because those like perfectly coincided with the basic lengths of poetry readings like usually it's like 12 minutes or 30 minutes or um and that way I wouldn't have to decide you know I wouldn't have to like to like say I'm gonna read these four or you know just be like I'm just gonna pick one but you can't read a whole novel so um <laughs> I'm just learning how to read from this book I've only done a very very few of these um but I'm gonna read just like three pages that are actually sort of toward the end or past the middle um but that I think are fairly self-contained. Um, so there are two characters in the book, S and E, who have just met. Um, and uh, just met in person after knowing each other virtually through a, an online reading group about love. Um, and they are in the country where E lives. E was the narrator of the first half of the book, and now there's a third person narrator. And so this is um, a third person, third person narration of the two of them. And the only other thing I think you might want to know is that there's a dog in here too. So I guess it's fitting that mine is wandering around. So there's two short, very short chapters. These are verge sections. They were city people, S and E. This doesn't mean the same thing to everyone, but it seemed to mean something similar to S and E, that they recognized they had been formed by grids and laws and the application of power to land, by climate control and light control and the anarchic organization of pedestrian life, by streets named for digits, politicians, artists, and states, by bars spilling into streets and the other way around, by the beautiful violence of millions of bodies navigating daily proximity, by the moments of excess, blackouts, heat waves, when difference fleetingly recedes, by the moments when instead it gets cruelly amplified, by the minute calculations needed to balance witnessing, action, and survival, by implication and exploitation more generally. They were also linked by their exposure, S's irregular but long-standing, E's increasingly committed and durational, to the non-city and to what it had begun to teach them about seasons, about autonomy, about vulnerability, about collaboration, 
about time. In this moment, they were city people or former city people walking a dog through fields of flagging goldenrod, expired late season blackberries, yellowing birch and reddening maple trees. They pointed at things and named them when they could. Lion's mane, self-heal. Splice the dog ran after a rabbit and nosed some bear scat. They came upon a dead deer and had to drag the dog away. Recognizing things did not mean understanding them, and this was why S and E's first in-person conversation consisted almost entirely of questions answered by questions. S, do you think time will ever feel the way it did before the internet? E laughs. Do you think I'll ever finish reading another book? S, what if I write one for you? E, how long will it be? S, what's the right length? E, haven't you noticed that all the books in my piles have bookmarks between pages 25 and 100? S, haven't you noticed that there's a lot for me to notice right now? E, what if I write one for you? S, what if I hold you to that? Splice barreled down the hill from behind E and S, having made the loop around the field without them, and plowed between their legs, then skidded to a stop, turned, and waited wagging for them to show their love. A long night. In the kitchen, Splice lapping at its water bowl, E and S turned serious, first about eating, the early fall of night had made them hungry, and then about coffee. S joked about the fancy coffee grinder and E self-incriminated, and part bourgeois never said I wasn't, which prompted E to tell S in detail about the imagined playground scene with the capitalist, which prompted S to tell E about a hundred tiny similar scenes, some true and some only fantasized, which prompted E to tell S about the long ago sessions with the bookstore clerk with the cherry red lips, which prompted S to say to E, I feel strangely at home in your presence, to which E responded, I know what you mean. And with that, so many questions and expectations fell away. The anarchist of anti-science would approve that S and E began to feel, each in their own way, which they took turns describing to each other, the appearance of a clearing or a field, whether it was the same field or two separate fields, they didn't wonder at, into which appeared or began to appear figures, leftovers or remainders, ruins, like the undone architecture and spent debris that persisted on the sites of the houses in the town neighboring Ease, the place Hurricane Ezekiel had injured the most. What are these figures? S asked E, stroking E's arm on the downbeat of each word. I don't know what they are, said E. Let's count them. Then at least, that at least will give us something sure. They closed their eyes and counted. An observer would think their lives depended on it, wrinkled brows, puckered lips, eyes roving behind their lids. Then they opened their eyes at the same moment, smiled, and opened their mouths. 27, they said in unison, and Splice barked at the post-silence noise. 27 what's, said E. Pause. 27 figures of concern, said S, fake serious, 
but also serious. What should we do with them? said E. We should address them. Beautiful. I'm, I'm so glad you read that section of, of the novel because it's my favorite actually. You know, I love that SNE kind of find themselves to be or feel themselves to be in this kind of field or clearing, you know, in which these figures or ruins start to appear. And it seems to instantly bond these these two characters, or maybe they're they're already bonding. It happens, you know, they're already bonding and and um and then this takes it even further. And I love that they bond so quickly. I feel like that's something you hardly see, you know happen to characters, you know, in novels. Um, and they go together in this kind of this other realm, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at these, these figures together and, and talking about them. And um, I, I don't want you to necessarily, like, I don't want to dissect what these figures are, or dissect this moment, but I wonder if there's anything you just, you would want to share about this part of the book or, it, it, you know, or, you know, or the figures or, Ines's relationship to them or anything? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, I think that this book is deeply embarrassing to me in a lot of ways, um, which makes it hard to know how to talk about it. And it's not because I have specific things I'm trying to not say that I know about it. It's It's more... It's more that um, it's it feels like it's like especially this part of it is reaching toward um, yeah like I don't know really mundane knowledge that I think a lot of us have in our bodies um, but that if you talk about it just feels kind of um, I don't know, like, so, like, so, so slight that it couldn't mean anything, like, simply the fact of how triangulation, um, how, how, you know, how relating to a third thing, whether that's, um, a belief or, a something you're physically looking at, or, you know, um, something outside of the, two or more, you know, subjectivities that are, that are trying to move toward each other, how having there be something, you know, else, um, is, you know, can, uh, is almost like necessary. It's almost like we can't go straight at each other. We have to go through these things. I was thinking, I, I, I noticed in your book, something I didn't, I didn't think I knew about, about you, that you'd gone, that you'd spent a summer, um, at a Zen, monastery. Um, and, and I'm just thinking about that now because I did a, a week of silent retreat years and years ago, um, more really as an experiment with a friend at a monastery, a Christian monastery, and I'm not a Christian, um, but they let people come and just stay at this place in the South of France. Anyway, I was with my friend and, um, we went to, we did this thing and, um, and the pain of walking around this beautiful place and seeing these things and not being able to say to each other or even to like feeling like it was 
it was, we were breaking the rules if we even like used sign language to point and try and somehow communicate, isn't that beautiful? I mean, I was like 20 years old. I still remember that feeling of, of like trying to still be a person and be a person in relation um, without being able to sort of like make that sort of triangulation with the world um, articulate in some way. Yeah, yeah, so <laughs> that's so interesting. Um, and I have a couple of different thoughts about different things that you said, like one, I know what it's like to be a little embarrassed by a book you've written. I think I'm a little embarrassed by Horse at Night only because, um, I feel it's a very sincere book, which, uh, may be more sincere than any book I've, I've written before. And I, in the novel I'm working on now, um, I also am trying to write about love, you know, for the first time. I think, and I don't want to do it um, in an overly sincere way. Um, and so I find that like in the novel, I'm sort of like already rearing against like something I did in A Horse at Night, but um, there, you know, love is a part of participation. I mean, there's this love between S and E that um, I feel you, you're you're able to get to it in a, in a way that I haven't really seen you know in a, in a novel before like I said you know in their relationship which I really appreciate that um I mean there is a sincerity in it actually but it's uh I, I don't know like like I was saying earlier just that you don't really see characters sort of bond so quickly or you don't see like you don't often see in a novel like the connection like a connection between two people that's not sort of like um, only on the level of like the romantic or some, you know, like that, that they're really like connecting as people and having this experience together. And, you know, so I, I, um, I really appreciate the way you write about love in the book. Um, and, um, but I wanted to, so, well, I want to ask, um, about, the book's relationship to, we haven't really talked about this yet, but though you mentioned the hurricane, you know, Hurricane Ezekiel, but the book's relationship to climate disaster, weather, you know, extreme weather, hurricanes, flooding, um, especially as these things relate to something like love, you know, but also community to human relationships. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... It's such a hard question, though I understand why you ask it, obviously. And one of the things that I was really panicked about at some point writing this book was um, there, it was like the height, like during the time when I was sort of finishing it, um, it took, you know, it took me a lot of years because I don't write that steadily. So a lot of things happened <laughs> during the course of it. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the term climate fiction arose and, or cli-fi arose and, and then I think sort of maybe is fading a little bit all during the time that I was writing it. And at one point I was like, oh, I really don't want this, you know, just because there is an event, you know, there's like, like the climate related or just weather related, um, um, quote unquote emergencies, I mean, they are emergencies, but there's so many of them um, and they're so constant, right? Um, do you play a part in the in the plot such as it is in the book? 
I think maybe that all of that stuff I just said, like all that hemming and hawing and all that difficulty in sort of saying, well, this is what that has to do with this um, is what it's about. It's, you know, it's more an articulation of like, I mean, I was thinking about, for some reason I've been thinking about um, some other from work I'm doing for another project, but the, the word instance, like an instance of something like what is like, what is an instance of something, right? Like, um, like it's a thing that, that um, can proliferate in multiple instances, but there's also a thing of which it is an instance, right? And, um, and I guess maybe if I, if I think about like the different, I mean, what, one thing that one of my like primary, primary like motivators to write or just like struggles in life is, is that I, I have like this war going on in my head all the time. Like I'm, I'm, I grew up with a, a head sort of stuffed full, both from outside and inside with like kind of logical thinking and like, um, and certain kinds of, um, yeah, I studied in Montessori, studied, I was in Montessori school for like a couple of formative years. And so like categorizing. And so, so there's like, oh, I'm always like, well, there's these different axes that we like behave, you know, and then I just want to fucking destroy that. Right. <laughs> um, so often when I'm trying to think about something difficult, I start, I start by saying, well, there's all these axes that we're working on. And then I just hate myself for it. So, but, but I'm still going to do that a little bit here for a minute. Um, because I do think that there's like a way in which um, like the, the acute and the chronic is one way, you know, there's the acute and the chronic, there's like the individual and the collective, the empowered and disempowered. There's all these like kinds of different, um, different axes on which we might find ourselves at a different point in that sort of four or five or 10 dimensional um, um, uh, map and, um, intersecting in any of those moments with an instance of this, this catastrophe <laughs> that we are living of, you know, of human civilization and particularly, um, the, the, the louder parts of it at, in our given historical moment. Right. So I guess, um, maybe a way to respond is that, it's any experience, it's not a back, I, I don't feel like backdrop is the right way to say it. Like any experiences against a backdrop of doesn't, doesn't work. Um, but at the same time, I have to admit that lots of, lots of moments in my life and in my reading and writing life are momentarily not foregrounding climate disaster or any other kind of disaster. So how, and yet we all know that it's there anyway. So I'm just interested in the like embodied experience of having this like dissonance all the time. And maybe it's not actually dissonance. Maybe it's, maybe it's, um, a chord like <laughs> that a chord that resonates in our experience all the time. And it's like different notes, you know, are, are you know, in the chord are louder at different moments. Um, but I do, you know, I, there's, there was like a line that in, in a, a poem, um, that I wrote when I was young, not that young in my thirties or probably or uh, early thirties, um, how, you know, this, this various talk about embarrassing, really embarrassing line, um, you know, how, how, 
I don't remember it exactly. How can I be happy while others suffer? You know, it was just like the most, <laughs> but it's like, that does not go away. <laughs> so of course, you know, um, I did want to write about love and specifically erotic love and, and political or communal love um, as part of a continuum and a spectrum. And, I, and, and yet to do that um, without, without suppressing catastrophe and so, and, inter, and interruptions. Um, and also while admitting that like, you know, for instance, um, when there's, when there's um, a foregrounding of, of like help, you know, like wanting to help others who are going through like near nearby, let's say where, where you really are called and you, and you respond because you, you need to, um, there's a clarity of like, I am now helping. There's an emergency. Right. And then there's, and then at some point, usually it, it tapers off either, right. Either the emergency is less, um, all consuming or enough help has been been supportive and provided or the situation has changed, but it's not like it goes away or, and it's not like there's a, like, when, you know, when do you, when do you decide, okay, today I'm going to turn back to this, this, to learning, um, to learning, you know, this language that I do for pleasure or something instead of just responding. Right. I'm really interested in those moments because they're so complicated and it would be, um, and there's no pure, like, there's no pure defensible way to make those decisions. Each of us has to make those decisions in, a, in the compromised ways that we do. So putting those, putting those things together felt really uncomfortable to me, but also really um, crucial at this, at this point in my life where I don't wanna be denying myself um, or anybody what pleasures there are and what desires there are. Um, I don't want that to be only irresponsible. <laughs> right, right. I, I've been thinking about some of these questions so much. I mean, just one, because, you know, I happen to kind of think about climate change and, and climate disaster a lot, you know, and so I feel like given that it's sort of changing um, what I'm writing, but subtly, you know, so like it, it's not... Um, I don't see myself writing like a straight up climate fiction novel. And yet it does sort of exist also a little bit on the background, you know, this, this, mm -hmm. not the background, but it, it's, it's part of things. It's part of the fabric of things. Um, and so it's interesting to hear you to talk about all this. And um, I mean, I also think about, like, I, I read this at one point, it's sort of an obvious statement, but that um you know if you're close closer to your neighbors closer to the people mm -hmm. that you live around that like you'll do better in disaster mm -hmm. you know disaster strikes like in, in your area you know like you'll you'll weather it better you know if you have relationships with them and um it you know like these two reading groups that exist in participation love and anti-love if i'm remembering right like they they come together you know it towards the end of the book. And um, to me, I felt, you know, like I, I'm relating what I just said about sort of like um, having closer relationships to the people around you to like, there's this way, like, I love that they sort of come together. It's not, again, it's not like happening in a 
and it's sort of like it doesn't announce itself I think in this way but it still like after this you know after Hurricane Ezekiel after the flooding um they're there together and they're you know like to me that also has something to do with the warmth of the book that I feel like you know that things things get warmer and warmer like mm -hmm. like in the relationships you know between them um but yeah and then you know you you brought up um you know just this this idea of um I think like like eroticism or, or sex you know in the in the novel and um someone once said of um my first book I go to some hollow that it's both like uh, calmly erotic and supremely uninterested in sex, <laughs> which I found interesting. I, I found it to be true, you know, maybe in a different way of participation, you know, like, which at times um, read to me like so sensually and erotically, but also at times felt like asexual. And that might just be because in my own mind, you know, like I often don't put together like the like extreme weather events or community things like a syllabus, you know, in, in relation in relationship to sex and you you kind of talked about like false binaries earlier but like I, I just wonder if you see those things as like quote opposites too or can they belong together I mean I think they can like like that's part of what I think participation shows us you know but you know and like love but just wondering if you have any thoughts about that yeah um I I love that quote about your about your book and I do think that there's something to that. I mean, I was just, I like, I'm obsessed. There was something that you said. Um, yeah, I don't know, but, um, I'm obsessed with this book that I'm reading right now called disorganization and sex. Does this happen to you? Like right after writing, finishing my book, then three books show up that I'm like, how could I not have read this before <laughs> that? So, um, I would, this is a book by Jameson Webster that I wish I had read before. I wish it had existed before. Um, before I wrote this book, wrote participation, but um, but I'm just gonna read this little part because it's sitting right next to me here. And she's a Lacanian. The movements of desire displace an implicit trend towards mastery, totality, unification, and essentialism. And so desire continues to be an open site of investigation and possibility, or to put it more strongly, sexual desire is the open site par excellence. Um, I thought about, as soon when I read that, I thought about the figures, I thought about the field and I thought about also, but I also think like that, um, that the, the, there's this irony now where, um, I read a lot of self-help because of another project I'm working on, but also as with any kind of obsession, it's, you know, it's also just, um, a, a complicated interest and, um, and I've always been fascinated by like, um, you know, just try these 10, you know, these 10 ways to, to fall in love or be, you know, fix yourself or whatever, like all, you know, all of these, which are kinds of syllabi in a way, right? Like a syllabus is like the intellectual version <laughs> of um, like, at least in, at least maybe for, maybe this is, um, maybe this is admitting something about myself, but like, when I feel like I wish I knew more about X or Y, I'm like, where's the syllabus for it? Just give me the syllabus for, for it so I can like know everything. Like I wanna outsource the authority and I wanna know everything about whatever it is. And obviously I also am aware that that's, um, that I don't agree with that concept. Um, so um, yeah, so I, 
I, I think, um, I believe deeply and embarrassingly in this thing like that I just read, you know, that, that, um, that there is something in the erotic that breaks momentarily even that does even that impulse to want the complete picture you know even that impulse to want the perfect complete and whole understanding of something like it has to break that um and at the same time uh i think weirdly like sometimes we have to give our per- ourselves permission to even be open to that breakage by like reading things or like practicing ways to be more open to our desires or, you know, so I'm just really interested in that, like crazy knot that, um, that, that ties those, those things together. And of course, power is like the hovering thing, um, that, that also expresses itself both in erotics and in syllabi and mastery, but in really different, I think, ways. And I think the one can sort of heal the other. Yeah, yeah. So I want to go back just real quickly um, before we close our conversation um, to something I brought up earlier on withholding. Um, There's a way in which aspects of participation are kind of held apart from each other before they interact. So for instance, characters like S and E or the love and anti-love reading groups. um, I wasn't sure if they would ever come together. and, And I was thinking about your first novel, Eleanor, the rejection of the progress of love. And if I'm remembering right, there's a kind of withholding that runs all the way through a a piece of information that's never given to the reader. And I'm I'm just curious to hear your thoughts about kind of what to give the reader and what's held back more generally, but also in in participation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I thought about this question so much with with Eleanor. where there's this thing that happened that is never named. And I think it has, and and there are similar things that happen here in participation. And I think, I do think that has, I think there are many ways to talk about withholding in fiction um, and a narrative, but I think for me, it really is, I really enjoy dwelling in a place where not knowing is um, is uh, crucial to being in that place, and for me, I when I said earlier, I mentioned that I that Eleanor was the first novel I finished, but I had tried a few others before, and I would bore myself by knowing too much. Um, so I think it's a bit of a trick in a way, but I also think it's quite like just sort of. Um, the only way that I can enjoy writing fiction is to keep certain elements, including like what characters look like and, you know, like, like different things to keep them in this kind of um, clear, but fuzzy space um, and to, to resist knowing, uh, knowing them myself. So that's something I do for myself in order to keep writing and that I just then have to check and hope is not reading to the reader as as me withholding something I know and just not letting them know or like some kind of um, coy, you know, game. Like I really 
I'm sure there's no way to get it right. Somebody, I'm sure some or many people would probably feel that, but that's not the intent. The intent is to actually um, have the book live in a space of fiction, which for me has to do with certain things being kind of just flickery and not, not known, including things that might feel like facts <laughs> um, that might feel like how could you not know that about your, you know, your character's backstory or something? But to me, that feels like really important somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like um, uncertainty, you know, in fiction and in life actually, but, um, and it's for, as a writer, I'm always very interested in that question, you know, myself. Um, okay. Well, it's been so good talking to you, Anna. I, before we close, I just want to ask you, one last question, which is, um, and you maybe hinted at it a little bit, but I wanted to ask what you're writing now um, and if it does feel connected to participation or if it feels like a departure from it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we so we sort of talked about in this, the beginning, like it, it, it just, it's always this ongoing thing. And it's like the, the things that, you know, the pro the problems are being going to be addressed in a, in a different way. Um, but I'm working on a novel. I'm working on a on poems and a poem about risk um and and actually a whole book of like poems and poem essays that all sort of have to do with um with uh yeah with um risk and movement toward i mean they're just, it's all my same old subjects i'm also working on a really challenging translation that i love that's very collaborative with my friend Mirette kebede of um of uh um, poetry that is um, in Amharic, the national language of Ethiopia, which I don't know except a tiny bit. So that's like, that's something that I'm really trying to turn to now that this book is done. But then, um, but yeah, the novel is sort of about cults and the mm. and logic as a destructive force and, um, and method acting. Wow. That sounds <laughs> amazing. Oh I'm so excited. <laughs> All of those things. <laughs> I'm excited. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing your work with us today, Anna. Um, and thank you for your questions, Amina. Today's guests, once again, were Anna Moskovakis and Amina Kane. And they were discussing Anna's novel, Participation, which is out now, as of yesterday. Um, you can order your copy at skylightbooks.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. <laughs>